Yeah, so today I have the privilege and honor of um, introducing our speaker, um, Philip Patterson. Um, he is, well, I guess he can count as a native of the Bay Area, if you say, yeah, if you live here most of the time, then yeah, I would say he's native of the Bay Area. Um, he lives in Pleasant Hill and has four kids um, with his wife, Jessica. Yes. And when I was talking to him earlier, he's like, do you know where Pleasant Hill is? And I was like, don't worry. This is probably the con one of the few congregations that probably knows what Pleasant Hill is, um, just because most people live out that way. Um, so today he gets to um, talk a little bit about Foster, the city and stuff. And also later on, um, there's a table in the back. So if people want to kind of get more information, just come meet me in the back. Um, so yeah, come on up, Philip. Check one, two, there we go. Yeah, good morning, everybody. So, so good to be here. Thank you, Frank. Frank is uh, kind of the point person. We call that role an advocate. So um, in the weeks you know, coming, if, if questions pop up in your mind about what we're going to be talking about today, Frank is a great guy to go and talk to around uh, Foster the City. But as Frank said, my name is Philip, and I'm with Foster the City, and it is just incredible to be here. I'm so stoked to be able to, uh, to share with you for a few minutes, um, and honestly, to share about something that I think is really near to the heart of God. And because it's near to the heart of God, um, I know it's near to the heart of CLC. Um, today, I want to I talk about rem remarkable compassion. As we continue in the series, we're the least of these, I want to talk ab about the, the remarkable compassion of God. Can we just spend a few minutes kind of just lingering and looking together at the remarkable compassion of God? Um, and just we're on the same page right at the gate, let me, let me kind of tell you what I mean when I say that. So if you, if you look at that word compassion... And you break it down, you have calm, C-O-M, right? And you have passion. And passion, we know, means to suffer, right? Like the passion of the Christ. So passion means to suffer. Calm, C-O-M, means with. So compassion means to suffer with. Um, to, to, to move towards, to be with those who are in need, those who are suffering, those who are going through a difficult season. And like I said, this is something that's really near to the heart of God, isn't it? Um, if you open up the scriptures, it, it's, it's clear God loves every, every man, woman, and child across the Bay Area, right? Every, every person on this planet. For God so loved the... Oh, so God so loved the world, right? Like, very good. <laughs> very good. That he gave his only son, right? He wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to eternal life. That's what the scriptures say. He, God loves every person on this planet. And yet, when you open up the scriptures... It's also clear um, that there are some people that have a special place in his heart. He loves everybody. Okay, so don't get it twisted. Don't, like man, the preacher said. Anyway, <laughs> like he, he loves everybody. And yet when you open up the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, there are some people that seem to make the top of his list. It's the orphan. It's the widow. Uh, it's the, the poor and it's the, uh, the sojourner, the, the immigrant. All throughout the scriptures, you see it. So in other words, it's, it's those who are far from home. It's those who are um, away from their family. Those who have suffered deep loss. Those who are uh, without protection. Those who are vulnerable. They have a, a, a special place in the heart of God. 
Um, I could take you to so many passages of Scripture. I'll, I'll just I'll read one to you. Psalm 82 says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. That's literally, literally one of dozens and dozens and dozens of Scriptures all throughout the Bible that make it crystal clear what God's heart is towards the vulnerable. And because remarkable compassion is a defining characteristic of God, Remarkable compassion has been a defining characteristic of God's people, us, his church, all the way since the very beginning. Um, when you look throughout church history, the last 2,000 years, well, there's a lot you could say about the church. Some, some positive, some not so much. But, but, but it is undeniable when you look throughout history, the last 2,000 years, how God's people, how men and women like you and me, how God's people have moved towards um, places of brokenness and injustice and sorrow and, and w- with remarkable compassion and brought healing and brought hope. There are countless examples of it. Did you know, in fact, that um, the first known hospital in every nation across the globe was started by the Christian movement? Isn't that cool? If you look at... Um, if you look at uh, education reform and uh, prison reform and women's rights and the abolition of slavery and civil rights, and the list could go on and on and on, they all trace their roots back to God's people. Isn't that cool? That's, that's the legacy of the church. The same is true with, with foster care. Um, can I tell you about a guy named Charles Brace? Anybody heard of Charles Brace? Charles? Probably not. Okay, Charles Loring Brace, back in the 1800s, born in the uh, northeastern part of the, the U.S. Um, he grew up in a Christian home. His parents were followers of Jesus. When he was young, he became a Christian. One day, he was a, a, he was a teenager. He was um, sitting in church Sunday morning, listening to a message from his pastor. And the pastor said something that just would end up changing Charles's life. This is, I'm going to paraphrase here. I might butcher it, but... Um, uh, this is basically what the pastor said. He said, you know, when, when, we stop, when we stop to remember all that God has done for us in our times of need, when we stop to remember all the ways that God has met us in, in compassion, when we now see those in need around us, it's impossible for us to believe we don't have some level of responsibility to do something. I kind of butchered that. Can I say it one more time? All right, let me try one more time. When we, when we stop to remember all that God has done for us when we were in need, when we now see people in need around us, it's impossible for us to believe we don't have some obligation, some level of responsibility to do something. You follow? That made sense to Charles. So a few years would go by, he was going to be in New York City. He w- went off to become a, a, a pastor, uh, uh, was in Bible school studying in seminary. And one day he went for a walk through the streets of New York. And he walked into this neighborhood that was uh, called Five Points. And Five Points at the time was known for its uh, crime and its prostitution, and its poverty and its gang violence. And he said he walked into this neighborhood and his heart just, he said his heart melted because what he saw in front of him were a bunch of kids, children, like living in these really broken, unhealthy environments. So he said that he walked into this neighborhood and his heart broke and he just, he said his mind went back to what his pastor had said those years before and he realized in light of all the ways that God had met him in his need, he had to do something with what he saw in front of him. 
He had to do something. And so he did. He got some of his buddies together, uh, in, in his mid-20s, by the way. He got some of his buddies together. They started what they called, um, they called the Children's Aid Society, which, by the way, 150-some years later, is still, ha- is still going on today. Um, and, and the Children's Aid Society started all kinds of programs that dealt like at a root systemic level with what they were seeing in front of them. So, for, for example, they started the first ever um, free school lunch programs. My, my kids get free school lunch. I totally take it for granted. The, the first time that ever happened was with Charles and his buddies. They started the first ever free school lunch program. They started the first free dental clinics for kids. Uh, they started schools for kids who are disabled. They started, um, they started the first Parent Teachers Association. PT, anybody part of the PTA? No? Okay, we got some, you can blame Charles for that, right? They, they started that. Um, <laughs> but most notably, they started what we call here in America foster care. So they helped these kids who were living in these really unhealthy environments find a loving, stable home to live in while their birth families, their biological families, took the necessary steps to create a healthy environment and then the families were restored back together. They were reconciled. What, what evolved from there back in, in New York City, what evolved from there became what we now call in America the modern foster care system. So, just to be clear, foster care was started by a pastor. Foster care was started by a Christian with the motivation that in light of all that God has done for us, all the ways that he's met us in our need, now we get to do the same for those who are in need around us. Isn't that cool? I think that's incredible, guys. This, this is the legacy of the church. This is the legacy of God's people. Um, the, honestly, the, the, the care of vulnerable kids, though, goes far back, way farther than, than uh, Charles in the 1800s. Some of you may know this. We, we, have, we have historical records that tell us about this, this early kind of Greco-Roman tradition. When a, when a child would be born into a family, they would often place the baby down at the, the, the feet of its dad. And if the, if the father in this tradition, in this ritual, bent down and picked up the child into his arms, the child was legitimized, celebrated, like welcomed into that family which is beautiful. That's actually where we get the term raising our kids. It's from that tradition. The problem is sometimes the dad didn't bend down and pick up the child. If the child uh, was uh, sick, if the child was born out of wedlock, if the child um, was not the preferred gender of that day, then what they would do is they would take the kid outside of the city and it would be abandoned, left alone to die. Um, there was a, by the way, it was completely common, legal, acceptable. They called it infant exposure. But we also, we also have records that tell us, record after record after record that tell us how early followers of Jesus responded to that. How they would go outside of the city at night and they would walk up and down the streets outside of the city listening for the cries of children. And when they'd find these kids, they would bring them back into their own homes and they would raise them up as their own beloved sons and daughters. And by the, well, it was the early Christian church that also put pressure on the Roman government to outlaw that practice. Like, guys, like, this is the legacy of the church. (laughs) 
And I'm, I'm stoked to be here today at CLC because we have the opportunity in our generation, like here in the Bay Area, to, to carry on. Like remarkable compassion wasn't meant to be something that like once defined the church. It's meant to be who we are today. We have the opportunity to carry on that same torch today. The difference, though, is you and I don't have to walk up and down the streets of Alameda County listening for the cries of kids, do we? Right? Like the the state of California has told us where we can find these vulnerable kids. Um, My wife and I started uh, fostering kiddos uh, back like eight, nine years ago now, and um, if you're not familiar with foster care, which I'm sure you are, I know Christine, some of our different teammates have come in the past and have shared. And, um, but if, if foster care is new to you, sometimes if a kid is neglected or abused or go through some significant trauma, they have to be removed from their biological family for a season and be cared for while hopefully, God willing, their family works towards uh, healing and health and then the family can be restored back together in strength. Or there's another kind of adoption or permanency option for the child. But basically, these kids were coming into our home, and they were breaking our hearts. Um, Some of what these kids have gone through and what their families were going through. And and so at the time, um, I was pastoring a church in San Jose, Um, itty-bitty little church, met at a senior center in South San Jose. Um, And as as our hearts were just breaking for these kids and for their parents, um, one morning we just decided, let's, let's bring it to our congregation. Uh, what, let's, let's invite our small church to, maybe we can find some ways that together we can move towards kids and families in crisis. Um, and so we did, um, and we, our church kind of found some, some different ways that we could help, help families experiencing foster care. And um, as we took steps to do that, we began to build relationships with social workers. Uh, and at one point, a social worker uh, asked, if, asked for a meeting. We sat down in my office, and she said, Philip, um, hey, we really like working with your church, Twin Oaks Church, what we were called. We really, really like working with Twin Oaks Church. She said, but the reality is, she said, right now in our, uh, in our area, there is, uh, an, she called an emergency crisis. She said, there are far more kids coming into foster care than we have homes. And she said, do you th- this crisis is a little bit bigger than your church, she said. She said, do you think that there are other churches out there that would want to come together, link arms together? She called it a faith alliance. She said, would you guys consider starting a faith alliance to help us address this crisis? That was about eight years ago. Guys, it has been one of the greatest joys of my life watching the way churches like CLC have responded to that invitation and and are working to, to raise up new foster families and raising up support for foster families. What started with, with uh, our little church in the senior, like this one little church in, in the senior center, today is 275 churches that are saying, man, we're going we're gonna to raise up families. We're going to raise up support for families until literally there's more than enough to meet the need. Our, our, our vision is that one day there'd be a waiting list of families rather than a waiting list of kids in need of a home. And that it would be the church on the front lines making that happen. Um, my hope is that God might call some of you to, be, to, to play a small, small part in that. Um, I'd, I'd love to share with you for a few minutes, if I could, uh, some of the reasons why I think we've been seeing churches like CLC and families and leaders like Frank stepping in to help lead the ministry, why, why we've seen folks say yes to this. Um, before I do that, I... Can I say this, though? Um, I know foster care is not for everybody. Um, it's not—I know um, 
you can breathe, okay? We're not going to make everybody be a foster parent and send you home with the kids today. Um, but, but if you are a follower of Jesus, remarkable compassion is for you. That's actually not up for debate. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus lived a life of remarkable compassion, didn't he? Um, and so as his followers, we follow in those footsteps. Now, foster care is one expression of compassion, but there are so many <laughs> expressions of compassion. So I, I do want to share with you a few reasons why I think we've seen churches and families respond to this invitation, why we're getting involved with, with vulnerable kids. But I do think that the three things I'm about to share with you here, regardless of whatever expression of compassion God might be calling you into, I do think, think that these can help to be motivators. So even if foster care is like, man, that's completely off my radar, stay with me. I still think this can be helpful. Sound good? You with me? All right, great. All right, here's the first reason I think as followers of Jesus we've been getting involved. And that is this, it's because we have this belief that, um, that every person has intrinsic value. Every person, every man, woman, and child has intrinsic value. Um, the book of Genesis, of course, says that we were created in the image of God. Like his, his fingerprint is on each one of our souls. Um, I saw a bunch of young, there's a, I know there's a bunch of young families here today. Can I... This is totally off script, Tim. This is not in my notes, but can I share this? Um, when, when you have a little one, um, and that, that little one cries, like we're learning all kinds of things around like neuroscience, like, neuro, neuro, like about the, the, the role that we, neuroscientists call it attachment theory. All the things that are happening in a, in a, in a young one's brain, even at the, the very earliest stages, like, the, like little babies, um, we are learning that when, when, a, when a child cries, when a little baby cries, reaches out, expresses a need, and that, that need is met by a mom or a dad or a caregiver, right? It's like somebody goes and meets that, that baby in their need, that some things are firing off, even before they can really communicate much. Like th- things are, are firing off in that child's brain. Things are being learned by that child, you know what we're learning that, that, that's being affirmed for them? They're learning, um, I must matter. I must be valuable. Um, and I can trust someone outside of myself. I must be loved and I must matter. And I can trust something or something, someone outside of me. On the flip side, what we're learning is that when a child cries and their need is not met, right? It's just nobody comes in and helps them and picks them up and holds them closer or feeds them or brings them warmth or, or, or cares for them when nobody meets them in their need. Or maybe that need is met with frustration or with anger. Other things are firing off in their brain. They're learning, uh, I must not be loved. I must not matter. I must not be valuable. And I can't trust anyone. What we have watched over the last eight years is families from churches like CLC stepping forward and welcoming in these kids and meeting them consistently in their need, reaffirming to them, you matter. You are loved. You are valuable. You matter. And there is someone outside of yourself that you can trust. And ultimately, there's a God that you can trust. It's been one of the greatest gifts of my life watching that happen. Um. Because we do matter. Like I said, in Genesis, it says that you were created in his image. Right? That, the, the book of Isaiah, guys, says that we are precious. We are precious in the sight of God. not crazy? We're precious to him. Um, the book of, uh, 
in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, it says that God spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. Think about that one for a minute. He spoke us forth from before the foundation of... That means that the, the, the moment when your dad and your mom came together and you were, you were conceived. I know it's gross to think about. Hang with me. Um, the moment of your conception. If, if Ephesians 1 is true and God spoke you forth from before the foundation of that world, that moment of conception between your mom and your dad, that's second in your story. What came first was that you were birthed in the heart of God before time and space began. Isn't that incredible? He spoke you forth. Again, that's true for every man, woman, and child across the Bay Area. Um, I have, a, I have a, a, a buddy who is a, I have a buddy who's a foster dad. His name is Krish. Um, and he, uh, he tells a story about one, one time he got a, a, a call for a kid that, um, needed a placement, and he already had kids in the home at the time, and um, so he was on the phone at the social worker, and he's like, hey, I've already got kids in the house right now. Can you tell me a little bit more about this child before I say yes? I want to make sure he's going to be a good fit for our family, and they're like, well, we don't know much about him yet. He is, uh, he's brand new to the system. Um, they said, we know one thing about him, though. We know he's a biter. My buddy's like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> like, what is he biting? <laughs> And he's like, I'm not sure I want to take in a biter. And then he said, as soon as that thought hit him, all of his theology started flooding back into his mind. Like truth started flooding back into his mind. He's like, I realized that the term biter is an incomplete description of a child. The term biter is an inadequate, incomplete description of a human being. Because you are more than the worst things you've ever done. And you're more than the worst things that have been done to you. Um, this kid, he realized, matters. He's valuable. He's more than just the worst things he's done. And by the way, that's true for you too. And it's true for me. Thank God. Right? Again, you might have just needed to come, you know, get out of bed. Get here at CLC today just because you need to hear that one thing. You're more than the worst things you've done. And you're more than the worst things that have been done to you. You matter to God. You are precious to him. You're valuable to him. You matter to him. You know, he didn't just, he, he didn't, um, I'm not just saying that because we, we sing songs that say that or because that's ink on a page in the Bible. Like he proved it. He proved it. God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do, how do we determine the value of something? How, how do you actually determine what, what, whether or not, like what the value is of something? I'm sorry, I keep going way off my notes here, but like you, you, you know the value of something by what somebody's willing to pay for it, right? And what was God willing to pay for us? Everything, absolutely everything. God proves that he demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, all right, so that, that brings me to our second, the second reason why I think we're seeing families and, and individuals and leaders and churches move towards the vulnerable in our communities. It's because we know that their story is our story. 
their story is my story. Um, I'm a little biased here, <laughs> but there, there may be no time in your life when you are more like God than in the moments when you open up your, your life to somebody who's in need. Um, uh, there, was a time in, there was a time in my life when I was uh, hurting and I felt alone and um, wounded. And I thought because of all of the junk from my past that I lost any hope for my future. My marriage was falling apart. I mean, I could just, I could tell you stories. But when I was at my lowest and my darkest place, my most hopeless state, like God met me there. And he brought me in a family. And he gave me hope for my future. Is, is that anybody else's story? He, we've been singing about it. Caitlin's been leading it. Like we're, we're, he, he has, he's become our good, good father. Um, there's a, one of my favorite verses in, back in Ephesians 1. I know I already referenced Ephesians 1. This is another, another, I think it's the next verse over. Ephesians 1, 5. It says this. It says, God decided, look at, please look at this verse. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Pause for a minute. <laughs> please look at the beauty in this truth. Um, I know that I don't know most of you. Um, I don't know most of your stories. Um, but you, you, might, you might have been coming to CLC uh, for a while, maybe you, you've been here just you're exploring, maybe you're asking some questions, you know, what's this faith thing about? Is Jesus real? Is there, is, what's Christianity? You know, what, what is this whole faith thing? Maybe you're even at this place, man, even if there is a God, maybe there is a God. You're exploring and you've got to this place, okay, even if there is a God, would he want someone like me? After all the things that I've done, after all the things that I continue to struggle with, would he even want someone like me? If that's you today, I beg you <laughs> to see the beauty in this verse. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. It's what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So listen, not only is God willing to welcome you into his family, he wants to. <laughs> He wants, it would bring him great pleasure to welcome you in as his daughter or as his son. And it's not something that, that, that we do based on our own good deeds and our own works. It's through Jesus Christ. That's how he adopts us in his family. It's not through our good, good deeds. It's through his son, Jesus. And he would love to welcome you into his family. Um, I feel like as a, uh, as a foster dad, now adoptive dad, we... Um, I've had the, the gift of being able to kind of just get a little taste of, of a little, just a little glimpse of what he's talking about here, um, about the joy and the pleasure of welcoming kids into to family. Um, the most recent little girl that we brought in, uh, she is, uh, we, brought her, she, we brought her in when she was two months old, about two and a half months old, uh, fostered her for about four years. Um, Part, we partly through our journey with, uh, with this little one, we, uh, we had the, uh, 
we were, we were told that her, her case was going to be a little different than the, the kiddos we'd fostered in the past. Because everybody we'd fostered in the past all went home. They all got reconciled back to their families, which whenever possible, like that's the goal. We want to see families come back together in health, in strength. That's the goal. You know, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Remember that from the scriptures? Like we, we, we want to help families reconcile. Um, for this little girl, that wasn't going to be possible. We, uh, um, we were told by the social workers that she wasn't going to have a home to go back to. She was going to need another option for kind of a perma- permanency, they say. Uh, and so after four years of fostering, we got to move from being her foster family to her forever family. Uh, and we got a chance to adopt her. Um, isn't that awesome? Yeah, you can clap for that. That's awesome. <laughs> Do we, uh, uh, no, no. Honestly, you don't, not, don't clap for me. Don't clap for whatever. But um, do, do we have a picture? Did I include a picture in there? I might have forgotten to add that in there. If not, that's okay. I want you to see how cute she is, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, can I actually, gosh, I keep going off. Can I tell you one, more, one quick story about her? All right. So, uh, so my wife and I are celebrating 20 years of marriage in January. Don't clap for that either. That just makes you feel old. We're going to be 20 years in January. Um, but when we were early on in our marriage, um, uh, we, you know, you don't have kids. You got all this extra time in your hands. Um, so we, we would read together at night. Like we'd be laying in bed. We'd just read books out loud. We'd, we'd read through different series. And one of the, the series that we read was the Chronicles of Narnia. Are you familiar with the Narnia series? Okay. If, if, if you're not, the, the, the series kind of begins to revolve around these four kids, these siblings, uh, two boys, two girls. You have Peter, and you have Susan, and you have Edmund, and you have Lucy. Okay? So there's siblings. And so we're early on in our marriage, and we're just kind of talking through what's life going to be like in this, you know, as we start this new life together. And we're like, man, that would be a cool number of kids to have. Four kids. Um, you know, we could have our boy, girl, boy, girl. We have two boys and two girls. That's what we wanted. Um, it's a little silly. You can't control that. But as, you'd ha- as you have it, as we started to have kids, we had a boy, then we had a girl, and then we had our boy. We, ha- uh, so we had our Peter, our Susan, and our Edmund. We didn't name them that, okay? We're not that weird. <laughs> but, but we did have our boy, girl, boy. So we would often talk about, man, we're just missing our, our little Lucy. That's what we said. We were missing our, missing our Lucy, our, our little girl. Um, and so as the years would go on and we start fostering, we're like, maybe one day God will bring along a little girl that needs a forever home. And so uh, my daughter, my old, uh, oldest daughter, she, she would even pray for Lucy. Said, God, bring us our Lucy. Bring us our Lucy. And so one day I got a call from my wife. Hey, there's a little girl that needs this, this, this you know, a, a, a foster home. I said, come down to the county building. We have a match meeting, it's called. And so drove down after work. Um, and met my wife there, and she's like, Philip, guess what her name is? Her name is actually Lucy. <laughs> so, um, so uh, and it just turns out this is the little girl that didn't need a temporary home. This is a girl that needed a forever home, and so we have our little Lucy. Um, Lucy, by the way, that name means light, and that's what she's been to our family. She's been an absolute, like, source of uh, beauty and joy and humor. The girl never stopped smiling. Um, okay, here's why I think I want to say, share that story. Uh, it's because her name matters, actually. Her name matters. Like, I, we just, that, that's like a, 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 God has a good sense of humor, doesn't he? Um, that for years we were literally praying for this girl by name. But, I, but, but what it reminds me of is that, that, that her name matters. She's not just a you know, one of the thousands of kids in foster care, she's Lucy. 
Like every number has a name. Um, and every name has a story, just like Lucy, right? And just like the every piece matters, <laughs> same thing, every story matters. Every one of these kids, story, every number has a name, every name has a story, every story matters to God. And because their stories matter to God, their stories matter to us, don't they? Um, I'm, I'm way off track here. I don't even know where I'm at. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, let me actually say this, though. Um, this, you know, if I'm off track, might as well stay off track before I go back on track. Um, with your Every Peace Matters campaign, as you give to CLC, CLC is able to support work like Foster the City. So you're, you're coming in and you're supporting the, the you're not, I want you to know, just, you're not just supporting the four walls here and what happens in here. As you give to CLC, as you're supporting, you're helping, uh, ultimately your generosity is linked to the lives of vulnerable kids as well. So I just want to, I, I didn't tell them I was going to say that, but I just want you to know, I just wanted to affirm, as you guys are giving, it really matters. It matters what's happening in here, but it also matters what's happening out there in the community. So now I'll get back on track. Um, Okay, let's go back to Ephesians 1. All right, so God welcoming us in his family brought great pleasure, brings him pleasure to welcome him in. But, but also, when God brought us into his family, it didn't just come with pleasure, did it? It doesn't just come with joy, it also comes with sacrifice. Um, there's another verse, uh, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, right? There's joy and there's a cross, and when you and I move in remarkable compassion towards the vulnerable, there will always be a cost involved. There will always be sacrifice. Um, the, the, the first little girl that we brought into our home, um, she was four months old at the time. We had her for just about a year in our home. Um, we, man, we, we got attached to that little girl. Uh, she took her first steps in our living room. Um, she said her first words with us. She called me Dada. That was her first word. Um, very quickly became like a sister to my biological kids. Um, but over that year that we were just falling head over heels in love with this little girl, uh, we were also getting to know her biological parents. Um, and they'd, they'd made some mistakes. There was a reason why their daughter was in our home. Uh, but, but they were doing everything they possibly could to bring their little girl back home, taking all the right steps, going to all the right programs, doing all the right things to be able to, to come back together as a family. So after about a year, uh, the judge said, okay, it's time. Gave the green light. I remember handing this little girl back into the arms of, of her dad at my front door. Um, my, my oldest son told me uh, it was the first time he'd ever seen me cry. Um, now I cry all the time. Um, but we wept that day and the next day. Um, remarkable compassion hurts. Of course it hurts. But we know that showing compassion isn't about making us feel good. It's not about a nice pat on the back. It's not about sleeping a little better at night. Um, we have, we have a, I have a buddy, he says, you don't, you don't foster to get a child for your family. You foster to give your family to a child. You see the difference there? 
Again, that's, that's, that's true with any expression of compassion. We don't do this. We don't, do the, we don't work at that soup kitchen. We don't help that person out on the street. We don't move towards that friend of ours who's falling apart emotionally so that we can feel better about ourselves. We don't show compassion to get something for ourselves. We show our compassion to give ourselves to something. But if we are willing to do that, if we're willing to embrace the joys and the beauties and the, and the pleasures of, of what compassion can bring and the sacrifice and the hardships and the pain that ultimately will come, it's incredible to think about the impact that we can have. Um, third, third and final reason why I think we're seeing folks move towards a vulnerable, it's this right here. I'm putting that up because I can't remember how I worded it. All right, there we go. Um, our investment in the lives of the vulnerable can bring long-term impact. Here's what I mean by that. Um, Christine, when she was here, probably shared something really similar. Um, Kids who grow up without um, a stable, healthy environment are far more susceptible to all kinds of other issues as they grow up. Um, as you can imagine. So, for example, about for the kids who age out of foster care, if they're not placed into a loving, stable home, about half will be unemployed in their 20s. A third will spend time on the streets. Uh, about half will develop a substance dependence. Uh, more than half will develop PTSD. You know you're actually twice as likely to develop PTSD as a kid in foster care than a war veteran that's gone through active combat. Can I say that again? As a kid in foster care, twice as likely to develop PTSD than a war veteran that's been shot at because of all that these kids have gone through. Suicidal tendencies for youth in foster care are four times higher than the average youth. The FBI did a study uh, several years ago. They said that about 60% of the kids that they're rescuing from human trafficking in the States, 60% are coming directly from the foster care system. So I could honestly just keep going and going and going and going with the stats. Here's my point. Like, as we begin to realize this, what we realize is like we need churches like CLC and organizations and individuals to, to address those kinds of things while people are in it. Like, we need IJM busting down doors and rescuing men and women who are being trafficked. We need, we need to be in the tenderloin working with those who are homeless or who are unemployed. Like, we need more of that while people are in it. But what if, in addition, we also go upstream and we care for the kids before they enter into those issues? Like, what would the stats look like in Alameda County in, in, in 15 years, 20 years from now, if every single child that came into foster care was immediately placed into a loving, stable, Christ-centered home? Um... We say this, this phrase all the time. Um, I, th- I think it's, we have a slide here. We say the best way, and this sounds a little cheesy, but it's true. The best way to see a transformed city tomorrow is by caring for a vulnerable child today. It's an upstream approach to actually being able to change the landscape of our area. Um, so I would love to be able to share with you a couple of ways that you could be involved in that if you feel like God's stirring on your heart. Before we do that, I'd love to be able to, you know what, actually, let's do this. Uh, let's skip the video because I think I've, I've been rambling too much. Let's go ahead and skip the video for now. If you're interested in watching any of our stories, you can go to fostercity.org, and there's a whole bunch of stories that I think could inspire and encourage you. But for, I want to honor your guys' time. So let me actually just kind of share with you a couple of ways you can be involved. Um, first is actually becoming a foster parent, actually opening up your heart and your home to a kid in need. Um, 
there is a profound need for more foster families, specifically in Alameda County, in Contra Costa County, really across the Bay Area. In every Bay Area county, kids are being sent out of their counties to other parts of California because of a deficit of homes. The further away that a child is placed from their family when they're placed in foster care, the less likely they are, statistically, the less likely they are to come back home and be reunified with their family. When, when the social worker asked me, Philip, do you think there are churches out there that want to help us address this crisis? And we came back and said, yes. I, I shared with her one thing. I want to share it with you. I, 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 I said, you know, there's a lot of things that are true about me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I love the warriors. I like good coffee. Like, there's a lot of things that are true about me. I hope that the truest thing about who I am, though, is that I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, and as a follower of Jesus, part of what that means is, is listening to what he has to say, listening to his commands, listening to his teaching. And, one of his, and I told our social, this social worker, I said, that one of the most fundamental commands that Jesus gave us was to love our neighbor. And it breaks my heart that somebody else in some other part of California is having to love my neighbor. There is something fundamentally broken about that. So we have a a profound need for more families that would be willing to open up their heart and their home. Every year, we want to see the the percentage of kids being sent out decrease until the point when we literally have more than enough families ready for these kids. That could be something that you could consider. You could consider learning more about that. That's not for most people. So take a breath, please. It's okay, guys. (laughs) Um, It's not for most of us. However, that might be for one or two of you. Um, for, the, for others, I, I want you to know there's a way that you can make a difference. And I know Christine shared, about, shared this with you. But uh, more than half of foster families nationwide won't make it past their first year. It's really, really hard to foster. Uh, it's hard in some ways to be able to welcome in kids who have come from hard places because sometimes they might act out of that trauma. And that can be really, really difficult. The, problem, the thing is we all act out of our trauma, actually. The reality is some of the, these kids often have experienced more trauma than you and I have. And so sometimes they'll act out of that, and that could be hard. On the flip side, as I've already shared with you, it's also hard when you have to say goodbye to these kids. You fall in love with them. They become like a part of your family. And one day, a social worker comes and picks them up, and oftentimes you never see them again. It rips your heart out. It rips your heart out. That's the invitation, by the way, that I'm asking you <laughs> to, is take a journey where at the end, your heart's going to get ripped out. But you're going to do it because God laid down his life for you, and now we get to lay down our lives for those around us too. Um, but that's the invitation. But because it's so hard, families don't last very long in, in, in the foster care world. About uh, close to 60% will drop out. Do you know what changes that, though? Is if a foster family takes their journey in the context of community, like this. If they have people that have covenanted themselves to that foster parent. And so we, we call that that role a support friend. So here's, here's, this is not a support friend. Frank, oh, you're going to foster? Awesome, man. Uh, Give me a call if you need something. That's not a support friend. That's a well-meaning friend, but it's not a support. Like, because Frank would never reach out to me for help. Because nobody likes to ask for help. But a support friend is somebody who covenants themselves to that, that they're they're actually trained and background checked, and they're actually um, mobilized and activated into a, a support team that comes alongside and provides consistent, regular support to a foster parent. So they're mowing lawns, and they're dropping off meals, and they're, they're, they're praying for, I'm praying for Frank, and there's, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking it into existence, Frank. It's going to happen, man. I just believe it. Like, the more and more I'm saying it, the more it sounds good. Um, <laughs> no, but they're coming alongside and providing practical, emotional, 
spiritual and consistent support to that foster family. Do you know what the, 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 the retention rate is when a, when a family has that kind of support around them? It's no longer, you know, 60% drop out, 40% stay. It's more than 90% stick around after the first year. So for every foster family that's being raised up, we're trying to wrap them with at least four support friends that can provide that kind of support. So maybe that's a role that you could consider. Like, I can't foster. I can bring meals. I can pray. I can show up and do some yard work. I can babysit so that, you know, the parents can go out and get a date night and keep their marriage intact. Um, maybe that's a role that you could consider. Um, there's also obviously an advocate team, you know, the, the, the team here, the leadership team may, may want more people coming alongside them to help them build, keep building that ministry. But if you're interested in, in getting involved in any way, your next step is the same. It's simply to go to that back table after the service today and fill out, a, we call it a next step card. And again, I promise you, if you fill out that card, we're not dropping a foster kid off to your house. I promise. All we're doing is we're going to email you this week, okay? And we're going to email you about an interest meeting that we have coming up. And that's about like an hour-long meeting. We have them in person. We have them virtual. You can just pick a meeting that works for you, and we'll deep dive into several, these, these several roles that you can play with Foster the City, and you can help make a difference. Sound good? All right, let me close. Um, like, like I said, foster care is not for everybody. Remarkable compassion is, if you're a follower of Jesus. The question that I, I want us to, to walk away with is simply this. It's, am I living a life of remarkable compassion? I started by telling you what the word compassion means. Let me tell you what the word remarkable means. Remarkable means you're, um, you're able to remark. In other words, like it's worth talking about. Um, in other words, the opposite of remarkable is just fine, like average, not worth talking about. Not exceptionally bad, not exceptionally good, just normal. Okay, when I was in San Diego earlier this week. My wife asked me how the, the flight went. I said, it's fine. In other words, it's not worth talking about. It wasn't remarkable. It wasn't worth remarking on. You and I are called to live a life of compassion that is worth talking about, that is remarkable. In, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, he says, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In, in other words, when, when the watching world looks at your life, and, and they, they look at your family, and they look at this, they look at CLC. When the watching world looks in like, and they see the way that you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the way that you use like the, the, the resources and the gifts that God has blessed you with. When the watching world looks at the, the way that you are spending the few fleeting moments that you have on this planet, it is so quick, it is so fast. Does it cause them to respond in any way? Or is it just fine? Is it just normal? He's calling you to live a life of compassion that is remarkable. I'd love to pray for you. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for over a century of ministry and community and worship. Um, God, of people entering into the kingdom, of people being sanctified and looking more and more like you, Jesus. A uh, hundred plus years of compassion towards this community. God, I pray for so many more. Lord, I pray that this area would never be the same as a result of what you're doing in and through CLC in this season. Bless them, God. Do a great work through them. God, I pray that for every person that's here today, that you would... Um, uh, give them both the courage and the clarity to know how you're calling them uh, to, to, and, and, and 
they, they would have the clarity to know how you're calling them, but also the courage to follow your leadership, to take one step at a time. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.